Last week I spoke to you about discerning some of the signs of the times, that Jesus says you can discern the seasons, but you don't seem to be able to discern the signs of the times. And uh, I would have to say that uh, in this day we're living in, the signs should be so evident to us all around us that Christ is coming soon, that there should be little doubt left in the heart of those who really love Jesus Christ. I spoke of many of the signs and I brought them right up to date, the signs of the times that we're living in. Now the signs, of course, in the scriptures, while primarily given to Israel, naturally, due to the default of Israel, have become the possession of the church. The signs were really never given to us, you see. But we have inherited them because Israel has forsaken them. So they are ours, you see. Israel does not believe neither the New Testament nor, of course, the, uh, the Old Testament in their portions of prophecy. They cut it out completely. And there is little said about any prophetic utterances in the Old Testament by the Jewish people. So that while the signs were given to Israel in the Old Testament, they have become the property of the church of Jesus Christ, that we might rejoice in them and feast upon them. For as we look at those signs, it should thrill us that the signs point to the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Of course, Israel knows nothing about all of the New Testament prophecies that we could take from the Gospels, that we could take from all the epistles, that we could take from the book of Revelation and fit so gloriously into their Old Testament, you see, in all of its prophetic utterances. So that there is no true word of God unless you have the Old and New Testament together. The old without the new is nothing, and the new without the old is nothing. To have a New Testament that merely began with the birth of Christ without anything before, you see, prophetically telling us that he was coming, would really be telling us nothing. But for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, the prophecies had been there that the Messiah would one day come. The root of Jesse, he would come. And so the Old Testament is necessary, absolutely, to the fulfillment of Christ's coming, the first time and Christ's coming again. Now, the prime requirements of all prophetic utterances in Scripture are these. Number one, that the vessel used must be of God's choice and confined to the Scripture. This is a very important thing. There are many false teachers abroad today who have many prophetic utterances that have never come from God's Word. So let us be very careful in getting wrapped up with a Mrs. Dixon or any of these so-called prophets in the world. All prophecies have a 50-50 chance of winning, you know. 
It's either yes or no. Mrs. Dixon's average, incidentally, is about 85% wrong. I didn't know whether you know that or not, to 90% wrong. She hits a few that are right, and of course everybody plays this up, but don't mention the other 85 or 90%. Or the Casey or many of these others who had prophetic utterances in the past. As far as God is concerned, the requirement for all prophetic utterances is that the one who utters them must be called of God. He must be God's choice and the prophecy must be in Scripture. The prophecy, secondly, must be of the Spirit of God and must have no admixture at all of a man's imaginations in it. It does not have a 50-50 chance of fulfillment. It is absolute. It is without a chance of error. When I read prophecy to you, there's not to be in your mind any thought of it being a fable, of it being anything but the divine truth of the same God who sent Christ to die for you. And if the prophecy is not true, your salvation is a lie. Because the same God wrote it. So you cannot have your salvation in Jesus' blood on the cross of Calvary and believe in his great and mighty resurrection and then at the same time deny the prophecies of the book. Since out of every 24 verses, one verse is prophecy in the whole of Scripture. I didn't count it. Someone else did it well. Thirdly, it is neither hazy in content nor does it lack definition. It is not doubtful as to who it applies to. If it applies to the church, God will say so. If it applies to Israel, God will say so. If it applies to the nations, God will say so. If it should apply to any of these, God will say so. So prophecy, we have to be very careful that we make sure that the prophecy we hear, we are confining ourselves to the Scripture and to the Scripture alone. Now, all of the great teachers of the past believed in the great prophetic utterances. You know, it always thrills me that, uh, that when I... I won't trip, don't worry. I'll sort of kick this out of the way a little bit. People get afraid I'm going to fall off the front of this platform. Well, you know, it's 21 years I'm here. Haven't fallen yet. You keep praying. <laughs> It's always the first time, someone says. <coughs> All of the great prophetic teachers of the past, and I want to assure you that prophecy is not something we have come in upon. The way some people speak, you'd think that suddenly the church had discovered prophecy. But I would remind you that prophecy has been part of the true church's history right down through the ages. And that Luther himself let me read what he had to say. I believe that all signs 
which are to precede the last days have already appeared. Martin Luther. See, looking to that imminent return of Christ, that's the way the church should always be in that spirit of waiting for the Lord. Let us not think, he says, that the coming of Christ is far off. Let us look up with our heads lifted up. Let us expect our Redeemer's coming with a longing and a cheerful heart and mind. Isn't that great? Martin Luther. Listen to Calvin. Scripture uniformly enjoins us, he sounds like a Presbyterian, Scripture uniformly enjoins us to look with expectation for the advent of Jesus Christ. Listen to John Knox. The Lord Jesus shall return, and that with expedition. Else, how shall the world be purified except through our coming Christ? So this is not something new that we have fallen apart. And all of the statements that I mention, all of the scripture that I give you, and the statements that I've taken from men who have written articles in newspapers that indicate, although they don't realize it, that the Lord is coming soon. Many of these men that I quote are more qualified than I could ever be. That the great hope of the church is still the coming of Christ and has never changed and never will change. The great hope of the church. The rapidity with which things happen today is the thing that makes us believe things are imminent. Things happen very fast. I, I don't know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, oh, I th it was our young people I was talking to, some of our young folks. And I said, I remember a day, I said, when you know it was so different from today, I said, all you had was the little local newspaper that told you what was happening in your little community around you. You had no radio. You had no television. We had an old wind-up, do you know what that is, an old wind-up Victrola? We had an old wind-up Victrola in the parlor, not the living room. The parlor was for Sundays. And you'd wind up that old Victrola and you'd play a few records on Sunday and think, what a wonderful day. And we didn't hear a thing about what was going on in Europe or Russia or Asia. We didn't hear a thing. And we were the happiest families in the world. Ignorantly so, but blessedly so. But today it's so different, isn't it? Everything's rapid. Something happens on the other side of the world. And in just a few minutes, it's on television or on radio. So that the whole world, things rapidly happen now. And we're living in that age of rapidity. And uh, it could mean that Christ is coming tonight. We can't tell. Listen, the U.S. could cease to be a power in the world today. with one nuclear attack. Did you ever think of that? Cease to be a power with one nuclear attack. 
And it could happen much sooner than we think. We can't tell. Russia says that in 1974 to 1975, we will fall into their hands. And they won't have to raise a sword. The revolution will spread throughout this nation. And I want to be frank, years ago I used to say myself, it can't happen here. But I'm not saying it anymore. It can happen here. And it wouldn't take much under the present economic strife that we are under, the problems that we face, to have revolution break out in this country. Russia says it will by 1974 to 75. And that she will have no problems at all with this nation. That it will sort of fall into the lap of communism itself. So Christ could come tonight. doesn't have to be any great long time or things and events happening terribly slowly. They're rapid like that, you see. Things happen very quick. And so we're to be conscious of that as we wait for Christ. How close do you think that we might be to an inner revolution? Well, the revolutionaries in our country think that we're very close to it, let me tell you. Drugs could anesthetize our people in such a way that we would be amazed with, what, 500 billion tablets sold a year. I listened last night, it, 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 it could make you cry. In Vietnam right now, the army announced there are 40,000 heroin addicts in the army who are living on heroin for 50 cents a day. But when they get back to this country, it will cost them 50 to 100 dollars a day to maintain the habit they've acquired in Vietnam. And, the, uh, and the, they finished off by saying a new crime wave is in store for the United States with the returning army addicted to heroin and marijuana. So the problems are tremendous. Now, saying that, would you turn with me to Ezekiel 38? I've mentioned Russia. Now let's really go and see all about Russia. All right. Here's the whole setup on exactly where we stand today in reference to Russia and to the coming of the Lord. Now may I say this first. Russia will never be the conquerors of the world, all right? Russia will never, never conquer the world because God forbids it. Russia is to be finally crushed by God. Secondly, the battle of Armageddon is not the battle between Russia and Israel. Let's get that clear. 
The battle of Armageddon is between the Antichrist, the nations of the world, and God. Russia's battle with Israel precedes Armageddon. What will happen in the 70th week of Daniel, which is a period of seven years in which tribulation, such as has never been seen before, will break forth upon the earth. There are good reasons for this. I happen to believe that Russia, and I believe it's scripturally true, that Russia will undoubtedly descend upon Israel somewhere in mid-tribulation, after the church has been ratcheted out before the tribulation. I believe this because the Antichrist has to come into power and become the ruler of the world. And he is to be the head of the revived Roman Empire, which we see in its basic formations even today, as we see England entering into a relationship with the common market. That will bring seven nations into the common market. And speaking of the revived Roman Empire, which is mentioned back in Daniel 2 and 7, it is the fourth great empire that the world has ever seen. The first was Babylon. The second was Medo-Persia. The third great empire was Greece. And the fourth great empire is Rome. Those are the only empires that God recognizes in his word. And the fourth empire fell and will be revived. And we see the beginnings of it as we look at the market that is beginning, the common market, to gather nations together. In thinking of this, I had listened to several of the commentators over the past week. I don't know whether you do this or not, but I had listened to Eric Severide, to uh, Frank Blair, to others, and the whole gist of their message is this that the market is the beginnings economically of a great political union. In other words, the economic bringing together of these nations will finally result in the United States of Europe, which has been the dream for centuries that they would come together into a great combine. And this combine 
would be of ten kingdoms. And these ten kingdoms would be, according to Daniel, unto a little horn that should come forth and should take control of them and should be, as he says, the fourth beast. But in Revelation 13 is called the first beast who came up out of the sea and took control of all the nations of the earth. Now, the only way this can happen is this, that if in the middle of that tribulation period, Russia comes forth with all of its power and all of its might, this confederation having been organized, and Russia descends down upon the mountains of Israel, and there God judges them, brings an end to Russia and to all of its hordes, and leaves but a sixth part of all of Russia. And then by default, the great Roman Empire, for I believe that the United States will have been decadent at that time, and will not be in a position to be in power. But at that time, the great Roman Empire under the Antichrist will, by the default of Russia, and not by their warfare, come into power. So the last three and a half years of great tribulation will be under the Antichrist as the ruler of the world. Because Russia has fallen and perished and is gone. That's the only way it can happen. Because the final conflict in Revelation 19 is not between Russia and God, but between the nations of the world under the Antichrist and God. Now notice what Ezekiel 38 has to say. Notice, prophesy. Therefore thou son of man... And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, I'm sorry, beginning in 38. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now let me just stop there a minute so that you get this clear. Magog is in Genesis 10-2, the second son of Japheth, Noah's son. Magog is identified with the Scythians by Josephus, the historian. They lived north of Israel, and they migrated as far north as possibly the Arctic Circle. We don't know. This is precisely the area that is the Russia of today. And if you take a line in your map and draw it straight through from Israel, you will go right through Russia. So it is in the northern parts that this army is to come forth. And Gog in the revised version, incidentally, where it says there, the chief prince of Meshech, and to go up to Balsk. It means there in the revised version, the Prince of Rosh, R-O-S-H. 
which all the lexicographers say is Russia. So that we have no doubt about who God is speaking about right here. The chief prince of Meshech and Tobolsk. I might tell you that the Caucasus, the meaning of the word Caucasus, is Gog's fort. So that you understand where it is. The chief prince of Meshech and Tobolsk. Genesius, who is the great Hebrew lexicographer, has told us that Rosh and Meshech and Tobolsk speak clearly of Russia. Russia, Moscow, and Tobolsk. Also, note this, that Russia is godless. And this fact is important because the nation that would attack Israel would have to be godless. They'd have to deny the word of God. Because the nation that attacks Israel, God has already said, whosoever blesses you, I will bless. And whosoever curses you, I will curse. So it has to be a godless nation that will attack Israel. So if you'll note just three things, geographically, according to the best authorities, this area is north of Israel, and in the Revised Version, it says the uttermost parts of the north, that's where they would come from, and that Moscow and Tobolsk are very clearly said here, so that we know what God is speaking about. We have no doubt about it. And that theologically, it has to be a people who have disregarded God and care not for the Bible and have adopted a new Bible, a new scripture. And Russia has its scripture, Lenin's works. China, the kings of the East, has its scripture, Mao's works. So that the Bible is cast out and these people have to be a people who don't care about God and hate the God of the Christian and will descend upon Israel to take a spoil. Now, let me read it to you. Behold, I am against thee, O God, the chief Just I'm wrong. And say thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O God, chief prince of Meshech and Tobal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. And I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. And as someone has well said, this is the only way that Ezekiel could express in his day he knew nothing of tanks and nuclear weapons, and he knew nothing of the instruments of warfare that we have today. The only way he could express it is saying, here is an army that is absolutely fully equipped to the hilt. Persia, that's Iran. Ethiopia, Libya. With them, all of them with shields and helmets. Goma, Goma is Germany. 
They called them the Cimmerians, parts of Germany. And all his bands in the house of Tagama, these are the Armenians who migrated north in some parts of Turkey. And many people with thee, be thou prepared, God speaking, imagine, to Russia, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a God. Now that word God in the Hebrew is commander. Be thou the commander unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years, notice this, it's so important, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people, speaking of Israel, against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Now here I, I just like to stop for a minute. Notice down the eleventh verse where Israel where Russia says, I will go up to the land of unwall with villages, I will go to them that are at rest. I would remind you that Israel is not at rest right now. Israel is under a state of siege. Israel just has a temporary arm, a temporary peace with the land of the Arabs. That's about all. The only place that Israel will be at rest is when the Antichrist comes in the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel and makes a covenant with them, and they shall be at rest. For he makes a covenant with them, and then in the midst of the covenant, according to Daniel 9.27, it says, and in the midst of the covenant he makes with them, in the midst of the week, he shall break it off but they shall have three and one-half years of peace because the great revived Roman Empire shall guarantee them that the Arabs will not attack. And there'll be an unwalled villages. Why, in Ezekiel's day, there was no such thing as unwalled villages. How could Ezekiel know that they'd be unwalled villages? Only because the Spirit of God spoke to Ezekiel and said there'll be unwalled villages and the people will be at rest. But that only because they've made a covenant, as Isaiah 28 tells us, 15, they've made a covenant with death and with hell. And God will judge them because they made this kind of a covenant with the one who came in his own name. Remember Jesus said, I came in my own name and you received me not. There will be one who will come in his name and him will ye receive. And the first beast of Revelation 13, it says, comes up out of the land, out of the sea, I should say. And this one coming up out of the sea is the one who will be the Antichrist. And then it says in Revelation 13, and the second beast shall rise, and he will be 
the false prophet and he shall come out of the land. And it is believed by all teachers that the one out of the land comes up out of Judaism and the one out of the sea comes up out of the Roman Empire, the Roman area of the world. The Antichrist, the false prophet comes into Israel and the false prophet misleads them. They believe that he is Elijah come back as the last book of the Bible says, Elijah will come back and they listen to him and he points to the Antichrist and he says, make a covenant with him for he is the Messiah that should come. There will be one who will come in his own name and him will you receive. And so the whole world looking for a benefactor and the false prophet having great power, it says to bring fire down from heaven and do miracles in the sight of men. Satan's inspired ones. The trinity of evil against the trinity of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost against Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And the whole setup is set before us. And Israel is at rest only because she's made a covenant with the Antichrist, with the one who should come. Daniel 9, 27. You shall make a covenant with him and he will break it in the middle of the week, a week of seven years, and then great tribulation shall come upon all Israel. And so notice what goes on. After many days thou shalt be visited. The land which has always been waste, you'll come upon the mountains of Israel. It's brought forth out of the nations, and they'll all dwell safely there. They're not safe right now. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Notice that. Thou and all thy bands and the many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. This is Israel. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil for myself and to take a prey and to turn thine hand unto the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods and that dwell in the midst of the land. And you can see Israel today, can't you? Here it was. Listen, how long ago was Israel just a wasteland, huh? No one would go near it. Do you know that when Titus destroyed Israel in 70 AD, the blood ran, it says, deep in the streets of Israel, and one million Jews were slain in Israel, and what's more, Titus marched through and tore down every building to the ground. He cut down every tree and he left it absolutely desolate. And it wasn't touched until 1948 when Israel went back and became a nation and became and began to develop the land. And what do we have today? A flourishing, green, verdant country because of their labors. 
riches are flowing into Israel. You can see Russia watching. Ezekiel could not know that all eastern oil must go through Israel to be shipped out to the world. As I said last week, the Israeli pipelines are taking Arab oil and putting it in Russian tankers, and the Russians will one day use it against Israel. But Russia sees a spoil. Russia sees Israel rich. Ezekiel couldn't see the Dead Sea, could he? Could Ezekiel see the waters evaporating of the Dead Sea and all of the salts and the minerals that would be left behind so that right now Israel in the southern part of the Dead Sea has great chemical factories that are now distributing chemicals that the scientists say are worth, do you want to hear the figure? Two trillion dollars. You know, when we get up around that 400 billion, we have trouble, don't we? Public debt. Two trillion dollars. The oils of the East, the riches of Israel. It fascinated me last week when I was watching something on TV, an ad. Some ads fascinate me. The one that Esso puts on is an excellent one. Esso shows what they're doing to fertilize barren ground. They now spray the ground, maybe you've seen it, with oil. You see the sprays going through, and all of the barren ground is sprayed with oil, and all you need is two inches of rain a year to have wonderful crops because of the spraying of the ground with a thin film of oil. Amazing! But Israel is working and making its place flourish and become, as Ezekiel 36 says, like a garden of Eden. And Russia sees it all. And God says, into your mind is going to come an evil thought. Ah, the evil thought. I will go to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take a spoil and to take a prey and to turn your hand, Russia's hand, upon the desolate places that are inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Beloved, there are now over two million people in Israel. Whoever thought that would happen. Fourteenth verse, I'm not going to deal with Tarshish. That happens to mean England and England's satellites. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto God, fourteenth verse, Thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, shalt thou not know it, Russia? Thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. Notice this is all prophecy. Thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. Thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be when, say it, in the latter days. And I will bring thee against my land. 
that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, art thee of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. See, it's not anybody else. No one else is going to defeat Russia and Israel. It's not going to be the United States. It's not going to be our nuclear weapons. It isn't going to be a matter of how big the silos are that Russia has our weapons entrenched in. has nothing to do with that. God says, my fury shall come up in my face. And in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain and great hailstones and fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, God says, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Tremendous. Let me read the first and second verses of 39. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O God, chief prince of Moscow and Tobolsk, and I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and bring thee upon the mountains of Israel, and I will smite thy bow or thy weapons out of thy hands and cause them to fall at thy right hand, and thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that are with thee. And I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Ninth verse. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire for seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, but they shall burn the weapons with fire and they shall spoil those that spoiled them and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Russia or Gog a place there of graves in Israel and the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea and it shall stop the noses of the passengers, the stench of it, 
and they shall bury Gog and all his multitude. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them that they may cleanse the land. And it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. Well, not worried about Russia. <coughs> Praise the Lord. God will take care of Russia. That's why I said last week I get so upset with men who spend all their time marching up and down in Washington yelling about Russia and all of the others. We're not going to beat Russia. God says he'll pour out hail and fire and brimstone and an overflowing rain and he will be glorified. And Israel, that little nation, can you believe it, will come out triumphant because they're gods. And God said to Abraham, whosoever blesses you, I'll bless. But whosoever curses you, I'll There are 13 million Jews in all the world today. That's all. There are 252 million Russians. But with God on your side, you don't have any worries, do you? Beloved, may I say this? I hope God is on your side in salvation in Jesus Christ. For the same God that promises this that shall fall upon Russia as she comes to take a spoil of Israel is the same God who gave us salvation in the blood of Jesus. His son, son of man, prophesy. and say to Gog and Moscow and to both, I'm against you. Why? Because you have hated me and brought me to naught among your people and you are violating my people Israel and you shall die and Israel shall bury you one by one by one for seven months all Israel will bury them. I remember one day when Khrushchev said we shall bury you to the United States. But I remind you Israel will bury Russia for her wickedness and her godlessness in attacking that people that are God's earthly people, Israel. And it's just as sure as your salvation. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy word this morning. Lord, 
how it thrills my heart to know that no nation that has forsaken God can ever win. And oh, that we might fulfill that which you say to your people. In Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people, which are called by my name, my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Oh, Father, how we pray for our nation. God help us in these troublesome times. Help, Lord, our leaders. Lord, may we never forsake the position we have taken toward Israel. For the word of God is true cannot be violated. And we pray that thou wouldst undertake, Lord, to touch hearts here this morning. And may we rejoice in our Savior as never before. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.